Amen. Welcome to Hope Denver. You may have a seat. I'm glad you're here. My name is Ike Shepherdson. Uh, I'm glad you're a part of Hope Denver today. Uh, those of you who are joining us on Facebook, I'd like to welcome you again. I'm glad you're glad you're listening in today. Uh, and just a couple things before we get going with uh, with uh, the the sermon today. Um, we're going to be opening our Bibles to Galatians 4 if you'd like to go there right now. But a couple of cool things. An update on our outreach with Open Door Ministries. We collected 300 pieces of clothing over the last few weeks. So praise God for that. That's two Honda Civics worth of clothes. Just want you to keep that in perspective. That's a lot of clothes. Uh, our local outreach coordinator, Carrie O'Connor. Go raise a hand back there, Carrie. And let's give it up for her. She's been killing it. Uh, she's going to be distributing these things at some homeless camps in the next couple weeks with some members of our leadership team. And so that's a really exciting thing. We also donated three Thanksgiving dinners and $500 to Open Door Ministries focus on women who are escaping sex trafficking, violence, homelessness, and addiction. This is a very cool thing that Open Door does. Uh, and we were able to give them, give them some money and give some Thanksgiving meals. So praise God for that as well. That's awesome. Hope Denver is having its first Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve at Hope Denver, this is exciting. Uh, and during that service, we're gonna give a special offering to some international Christian workers who are suffering most because of the, of the global pandemic. I explained to you last week that there are Christian workers around the globe that because they're Christians doing ministry in pri primarily non-Christian countries, they're often overlooked in, in uh, you know, distribution of food, in you know, access to resources. So we're gonna be receiving a special offering to give directly to that, that uh, we don't take anything off the top, it's just going directly to them. We'll talk more about that in the next couple weeks. Okay, so please open your Bibles to Galatians 4. This week we're gonna be finishing our series on the good news. This has been an exciting series for us. Talking about the gospel. What does it mean to be people of the gospel? Talking about the good news. We've had an incredible few weeks here uh, talking about how the good news of Jesus means that we're loved by God. God's given us a free gift of salvation. He's given us the gift of identity and reconciliation and family through Jesus. And I'd like to recognize again Luke Toll on our leadership team. Luke, would you raise a hand back there? He designed this whole series. So Luke, props to you, man. You designed this whole thing. You're awesome. Um, so I was, I was uh, uh, you know, scrolling Facebook like a champ this week, and, uh, and I read this, I found this article on this TV show called The Good Place. Have you heard of The Good Place before? I actually haven't seen it, but I, I was reading this article, and I was kind of intrigued by it. It was describing this point in, in the show, and I don't think I'm ruining any, anything here, where some, some people, they go to a kind of heaven. Um, and it's not the same thing as like the biblical heaven, but it's this idea of heaven, and these people have died, and they've gone to this heaven, and in this heaven that they go to, they, they are able to do everything that they want to do all the time. So heaven in this world, this, this particular heaven, version of heaven in this world, means you get complete autonomy and freedom all the time. So 100% of the time, you get to do what you want to do. And so the idea is that you have your desires satisfied for eternity, complete freedom. But what happens in, in the show, I guess, and again, I don't think I'm giving anything away here, is that some of the people start to feel like this is its own kind of slavery, its own kind of oppression. If you think about that, if you got everything that you wanted all the time and you had to do that forever, it would get kind of bland and stale. It would get kind of like, like you'd be stuck in it. And that's kind of what happens, I guess, for some of these characters is that they, they, they're sort of horrified by their own desires. And having to deal with your own desires for eternity 
creates its own kind of horror. And it's just this awful situation where people are stuck in this, this ugly thing. And the, the, what got me thinking uh, uh, from this article was this idea of freedom in American culture. What do people think of when they think of freedom in our culture? They think of no restraints, having everything that you want all the time, always being able to do what you want to do without anybody stopping you from getting what you want. The biblical picture of freedom, the picture of freedom that we find in the scriptures is incredibly different, though. Uh, it, it's different in, in some incredibly beautiful ways. The Bible presents the idea of freedom as not as a kind of tyranny under your own desires, but the freedom to be who God made you to be, where he made you to exist. And where he made you to exist was, was to be inside his presence, to be in his presence. So freedom biblically understood is the, the ability to be who God made you to be in the place where God made you to exist, his presence. So the good news for you and me today is that God offers us freedom, and God offers freedom for free. He doesn't charge us for it. You don't have to earn it. Let's pray as we come to the scriptures today. Lord, I believe that you inspired the, the, the writing of these scriptures I believe that they're inerrant in the originals and that you have good words to speak to us. You want to, you want to challenge us and encourage us today. You want to give us hope and peace today. Your word for us is not do better, but it's I've already done enough. Your word for us isn't be nicer, it's that I've already given you all the kindness in the world. Your word for us is that we are loved and accepted, and we are open to the scriptures today. If you're open to hearing from God in the scriptures today, just in, your, in the quietness of your own heart, say, yes, God, I'm open. I'm open. I want to hear from you. I want to learn from you. I welcome you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So freedom, according to the Bible, is not getting what you want all the time. It's not, it's not having no restraints on all of your behavior. Instead, it's the ability to be who God made you to be in the place where he made you to exist, and that's his presence. The good news is, is that God offers us freedom for free. You don't have to earn it. What we're going to be reading in Galatians today, I'll give you a little background on this. This was primarily written to Christians of a Greek background. So these are people who, uh, who would have been worshiping pagan deities before having given their lives to Jesus. And they lived in, in this region called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, these people who are, li who are listening to this letter being read, they're, they're people who had accepted the good news about Jesus. And in doing so, they had turned away from worshiping Greek deities. These deities would have been things like worshiping the sun or the seas. And they may have had personifications like, like various Greek gods in the pantheon that you may have learned about. But these people had turned away from that kind of worship. And they had started worshiping Jesus instead. But what happened among this group of Christians is that there, there were some people who came into their community and started to tell them that if you really want to be accepted by God, what you have to do is start obeying the Jewish religious ceremonial laws that are written about in the Old Testament. That if you really want to be accepted by God, your men have to be circumcised. You have to observe Sabbath legislation which means that on the Sabbath day of the week, you don't work, you, uh, you abstain from certain kinds of activity. And the other thing is you had to obey dietary laws. You couldn't eat certain things, and, and there were certain things that were off limits to you. In addition, I guess, there were also uh, some holy days of the year that you would, you would observe. 
So what these people were saying is that not only do you need Jesus, you need certain kinds of behaviors in your life as well. And if you think about your, your kind of uncritical perception of what religion is, it includes that idea, right? If you think about what do people mean when they talk about religion, there's some, some aspect of it that's like there's some good thing that I can get, but I have to do something to get it. And so Paul, the writer of this letter to the, the church in Galatia, is warning them against this kind of thinking. He's saying, be careful. This is not right. This is not the gospel. The gospel is different than you need to perform. The gospel is free, and you can do nothing to earn it. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. Let's look at Galatians 4 and verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. You're slaves to those who by nature are not gods. See, in the past, these people, they did not know God. And even in their, in their previous religious understanding, there was no claim to know God personally. It was just that you would give certain kinds of gifts to a deity in order that that deity would bless you in some ways. But he's saying to them, in the past, when you had this religious background of worshiping the sun and, and, the, and the seas, you did not know God. And this is important for us as followers of Jesus. We do not merely claim to know things about God. Knowledge about God is important, but what we claim as followers of Jesus is that we actually know God. We have a relationship with God. It's true that we should know things about God, <laughs> but Christianity isn't primarily a belief system or a philosophy. Christianity is about knowing a person, a person that, that wants to know you deeply as well. The good news is that God wants a relationship with you. Hopefully that's good news to you today. But it says in this verse, before you knew God, you were slaves to things that were not divine, things that were not in fact God. And this is important to understand from the biblical perspective on reality. We have this idea in our world today that you could be religious, neutral, or anti-religion. But in the biblical worldview, the idea is that you're either freed or you're enslaved. And I know that sounds a little harsh, but what, what the biblical worldview is that you either have a relationship with God or you don't. And if you have a relationship with God, you have all of the benefits of knowing God. And if you don't, then you have a, a kind of slavery that goes with it. And this isn't saying that like you're so bad that you're in slavery and you should feel terrible. It's just saying that you can't be neutral. This is important. In the biblical perspective on reality, you can't be neutral about who God is. You either want a relationship with him or you don't, and God will respect that choice. God respects that choice. What the Bible says is that if what you want is freedom, being completely autonomous in that sense of freedom, then you can, you can have your own version of that, but it's going to feel like slavery. Real freedom, according to the biblical perspective on reality, isn't doing whatever you want all the time. It's not that picture of the good place like I was talking about before. Biblical freedom is different than that. The kind of freedom where you get to do all of, you, all of what you want all the time, that's actually a kind of tyranny. But real freedom is the ability to be who God made you to be in the place where he made you to exist. And that's his presence. Look at verse 9. But now that you know God, or rather, are known by God. 
How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So it says, formerly you did not know God, but now you do. Uh, but even, even to say things like, you know God is not quite right. He's saying, that's not really the way I want to say it. Yes, you do know God, but it's more important that you are known by God. And this is so beautiful, friends, because it's not as if, as if we have become so great to ascend the heights, and we've come to pull down the knowledge of God, and we're so wonderful and smart, and haven't we figured it out because we're so great that we know God. Instead, it's not that we have ascended, but that God has condescended and come to be with us. This is the message of Christmas, that God comes to be near to us. It's not that like, hey, look, guys, I'm really smart. Let me tell you about how smart I am. I know God. It's that God knows me. God's come to live with me. In fact, in John 1, there's a translation that says, the word became flesh, the word talking about God. The word took on a body, became flesh, and moved into the neighborhood. He came to be near you and me. The good news is, is that God sees you in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your guilt, in the middle of your suffering, and he says, I want to know you. This verse says that you are now known by God. But these people who are reading this, hearing it read probably, they were in danger of turning back to the worship of those weak and miserable forces, these primal elements. Let me explain these to you a little bit more. He's saying that you were enslaved to the worship of these elements, these evil forces. And what he meant by that was things like, uh, like the Greeks had this view of the elements as earth, air, fire, and water. Have you heard that, that for before? Um, they, they worshipped those elements, and sometimes they were embodied in different deities. But he, when he says these weak and elemental forces, that's what he's getting at here. You were enslaved to these, to these miserable forces, earth, air, fire, and water. And these, these, these readers or these listeners would have immediately understood. He's telling us, yeah, we used to worship these things. But he's saying that by worshipping elements in the past, you were actually enslaved to them. If you thought that the water or the sun had power over your life, then you would worship them so as to get something good from them. And that's a transactional relationship. You have to offer your piety, your offerings, and in return you'll get some kind of favor from the gods. That's transactional. That's not what we see in the biblical perspective on reality. The gospel liberates people. It doesn't put you into a, a, relationship, a relationship of slavery. It liberates you. Out of, any kind of, out of any kind of bondage that you can have. The gospel frees you to be who God made you to be. That's what he's saying. The gospel liberates while all other allegiances enslave. Worshiping anything other than God, the true and living God, means that you're actually serving that thing. And I, I've seen this before, and you probably have too. You buy, buy a new car. And you're really proud of this new car, and you love it, and it's got, it's got all the cool things in it. Uh, but y something breaks on it, which just is inevitable, right? And then you've got to pay to get it fixed. And then you're having some, some other kind of trouble with it. It gets a scratch, and it doesn't look as good, and that bugs you. And all of a sudden, you start to be owned by the thing that you once owned. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> I've seen this happen with relationships, too. You start dating someone. And your life starts to become more and more about that person, more and more about that other person. 
And this can be a really great thing if you and the person that you're dating are both on the same page about who Jesus is, if you're both following God and God is first. But it can be really destructive. If you start dating somebody who doesn't have that same allegiance to Jesus that you have, then you're going to start to drift in your allegiance as well. You're going to start to drift away from God. It's going to stop being the most important thing to you. The relationship becomes the most important thing to you. And this thing that made you so happy has become a relationship of slavery in a way. See, for these people, they were starting not to, not to want to go back to worship the earth, air, fire, and water, but to add into their worship these Jewish ceremonial laws, Sabbath-keeping, kosher-cooking, male circumcision, observance of different holy days. And Paul is saying, if you start doing this, you're going to be rejecting the gospel. And in so doing, you're going to become a slave of the law rather than accepting the freedom that God has already granted you. Let's look at verse 10. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So what he's saying, when you were worshiping these primal elements of the earth, you would have special holy days and observances for them. You would have these kind of special celebrations for them. And you're doing the same thing now by accepting the Jewish ceremonial law. He's saying that if you start observing these Jewish new moon festivals and dietary restrictions, you're actually stepping back into the same kind of slavery that you had before the gospel. He's saying that these two religious practices are all part of the same false gospel. And the false gospel is this. Hear me clearly on this. The false gospel is this. You have to do something in order to be saved or liberated or enlightened. You need to perform and achieve and attain something. The true gospel, though, and this is the good news for all of us, is that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. It's not that you need to give something. It's that Jesus gave it all for you. When you start adding to the gospel the idea that you need to earn something, take care of something, achieve something, or become something, you've actually become enslaved to whatever it is that you're adding into the gospel. It becomes a kind of slavery to you. You can't have Jesus and. You can't add something to it. The gospel is that Jesus gave his life for you. No additions necessary, plus nothing. So he goes on to argue, and, and throughout the rest of this passage, that even if you're really sincere, that's not enough. You, have to, you can't just be a really zealous person who's really sincere in your belief. He goes on to argue that you have to be zealous about the right things. There's been a lot of zealous people throughout history, right? You have to be zealous about the right things. That's what matters here. And then he says, you have a choice. You can live like the child of a slave woman, or you can live like the child of a freed woman. That's, he uses a metaphor later on in that passage. He says, who are you? Who do you want to be? The child of a slave woman or a free woman? And I'm going to skip down to, to chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's an interesting way of writing. I'm not sure if like, I would have thought to pen anything that way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What, is, what it's saying is that, is that Christ has liberated you, 
and he's rescued you from yourself. He's rescued you from you getting what you want all the time and from any other possible destructive allegiance. And he's done that in order that you could experience what freedom is like. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It means that he freed you so that you would know how great freedom feels. Do you see how even that is a gift? He didn't just free you so that finally these people will get it together and start worshiping me. Finally, they'll start giving to their churches and they'll finally start being good people. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He says he frees you because he wants you to experience freedom. <laughs> this is the difference between God and any other allegiance. Any other allegiance has control on you and asks things of you, but God just gives things to you. Christ has set you free. And your part in this is actually kind of passive. It's not mere, merely passive, but it's not really active. It's not like I have to go up and get it. It is kind of passive in a way. See, Christ has done all the work, all the work, but you have to receive it. You have to say yes to it. You have to open yourself to it. See, Jesus isn't going to force himself on you. That's something to understand about God. God wants a relationship with you, and he's not going to be like, be my girlfriend, and like make you be his buddy, you know, or make you be his girlfriend. It's not how that works. He's saying, I've done everything for you, and I hope you'll say yes. That's God's heart to you. He hopes that you'll say yes. So it's not just passivity. It's kind of active passivity. It's a saying yes. In this case, uh, he's saying you have to let the chains fall to the floor. And even the metaphor that he uses is not really about chains. It's about a yoke of slavery. In the ancient world, you know, people would put a, a, a wooden yoke over the top of an ox, and, and that, uh, that yoke would hold the ox in place, and they would attach ropes to it, and then it would do its work. And he's saying you have the choice of putting on that yoke again to be a beast of burden. He's saying you had this yoke before. You were stuck in this cycle of having holy days and, and these special times on your calendar, these special things that you would eat and not eat, these things that you would do. Don't do that again. Stand firm and don't be enslaved by a yoke of bondage again. He's saying they shouldn't try to put that yoke on thinking that they, that they, uh, that they needed to offer God all kinds of good works in order to be saved. You don't have to do anything to make God love you and rescue you. You merely have to open your heart to it. You need to say yes. And there's a perseverance in saying yes. There's a standing firm. He says, you need to continue to say yes. A relationship, a good relationship, means saying yes to the other every single day. Yes. I, with my wife and I, it's like, yes, every day I still say I do. Every day I still mean this. I, I'm in this. I'm in this for good. But it's every day we have to say that. Same thing with God. It's a persevering of saying yes. It's an active passivity of saying yes. And uh, this is why Mary, the mother of Jesus, is actually a hero of faith to us. And one that we rightly remember at this time of year. See, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had an angel tell her that she would bear the Messiah. He's saying, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yikes, if an angel said that to me, I wouldn't know what to do with it. You're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And you know what Mary said in return? She said, let it be done unto me according to your word. You see, the, the wording in that is kind of important. Let it be done to me. It was a saying, yes. Here's what Francis Schaeffer says about Mary. Uh, this is a great book 
True Spirituality, I'd recommend to you if you're interested in, in picking it up. Uh, he says, she was passive in that she could not cause the birth of the child. Passive. But she was active in that in faith. She was obedient to give herself to God. It was in that one moment that she says, let it be done unto me according to your will. It was in that one moment, and so it must be for us. We accept Christ as Savior at one moment, and our guilt is gone on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a slave to your guilt. But after we become Christians, he says, the moments proceed, the clock continues to tick, and in every moment of time, our calling is to believe God, raise the empty hands of faith, and let great fruit flow out through us. We don't have to make ourselves acceptable to God. God rescues us and makes us his children. And we just need to keep our hearts open to him. We need to believe him and let him work in our lives. Stand firm, Paul says. Stand firm and don't let yourselves start, start saying to yourself, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to be good now. I'm going to do the right thing now. So you need to say yes to God and let him do the good thing in you. Look at verse 2. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. He's saying if you try to make yourself valuable to God, then God has no value for you. Think about that. If you try to do everything that, that you need to do to be good before God, then all of God's goodness means nothing to you. Christ is of no value to you. If you try to fulfill the religious laws of what good people do, thinking that this is what you owe God, then you'll find out that you owe everything to God that Christ already paid for. His sacrifice then becomes worthless to you. Look at verse 5. For through the Holy Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Oh man, this is my favorite part. <laughs> this is really great. See, it would be easy to say that living the Christian life is hard. It is. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, I'm not telling you it's easy. Having active passivity is hard. Every day saying, God, I open myself to you, that's hard. Every day that's hard. Avoiding the urge to take charge of your life is hard. Believing God is hard. It's true. But this is why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence living in you, delivering God's gifts to you, God's counsel when you're confused, God's comfort when you're anxious and sad, God's power when you're weak, and God's pleasure when you have no joy. See, what this says is not like, is not that you just need to try and just believe God. It's that, it says that the Spirit is living in you. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's saying the Holy Spirit is what's going to give this to you. If you lack joy today, my friends, you need the Holy Spirit. If you feel lost or confused, you need the Holy Spirit. If you're tired and worn out today, and so many of us are, you and I, we need the Holy Spirit. And as with all of God's good gifts, you can do nothing to earn the Holy Spirit. It's given to you for free. 
He's given to you on the basis of the finished work of Christ plus nothing. So how are we freed from the tyranny of our anxiety and our desires for autonomy? We wait through the Holy Spirit. And we don't just wait around hoping that something will change. (laughs) That's kind of how I felt about the pandemic, is like, well, I guess I'll just wait this out, see what happens, you know? But with God, we eagerly wait. We wait with intensity. We wait with confidence. And what do we wait for? We're waiting for the complete healing of the world around us. We're waiting for God to set things right again. We're waiting for God's justice. And we're waiting for the Messiah to return. We're waiting for Jesus to rule the world, for God to wipe away every tear from every eye. We're waiting for death to die through Jesus' return. So this year at Christmas, we're not just remembering the advent of Christ. We're looking forward and eagerly anticipating his return. That's what we wait for. How do we wait? We wait not in our own power, but through the Holy Spirit's power. How do we wait? We do it by faith, but even that is not our own faith. If I were just to tell you, hey, the answer to this is have faith, that's not quite right, biblically understood, because even faith is a gift from God. Even faith is something that God gives us. So from time to time, I sit on... Uh, committees where, this sounds really stuffy, but I sit on committees where people who want to become pastors will come and sit before a committee and we'll talk to them about their life and their doctrine and make sure they're kind of fit for, for this kind of stuff. So I'll ask them questions and, and, uh, and the question I always ask people on this committee is how are we saved? How is it that we're saved? This is important because there are so many messages on how to have a better life out there. So many messages on how to receive enlightenment, on how to be liberated from any number of things. But I always ask this question, how are we saved? If you ask this question in our world, you would hear things like, well, you know, people, people need better access to education. If you ask this question in our world, how are we saved, how do things get better, they'd say, we need to stop talking so much and start listening more. They'd say, we need to take care of the weakest and ensure that everybody has equal access to resources. You know, I'm not really, I'm not here to talk against that kind of stuff, but do you hear something in in all of those messages? We need to do better, try harder, and we need to do more. We need to get stuff done. We need to do this. We need to stop doing this. We need to do all this stuff, and it's all about what we can perform. But that's not how it is with Jesus. The answer to that question is we are saved by grace through faith plus nothing grace through faith. We're saved by God's grace, which means that God looks on us with favor, and we did nothing to deserve it. And we we are saved by grace through faith, but even faith is not something that we conjure up. Start believing God more. It's that God gives us the gift to believe him, the ability to trust him. Faith is a gift, too, that you can't earn. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'm going to come to a close here in just a minute. More obligation and more guilt isn't going to do anything for you or for me. Having that sense of, I just got to do better. I got to be a better dad. I got to be a better husband. I got to work harder. I got to, you know, show up earlier. That's not going to do anything for any of us. 
The law can do nothing to give you hope. Law can do nothing to make you feel free. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And remember, how do we get faith? We get it through a gift that comes from God. God gives us that gift of faith. How do we love? We love through God's Holy Spirit, who gives us the power to love. If you ever feel like, I just don't know how to love that person, say, Holy Spirit, help me to love that person more. And God will give you the ability to love better than you could today on your own. God's Spirit in us gives us that power. Every single good thing that you could have in life is a gift that God wants to give to you. These are all Jesus' gifts. Every act of love, every bit of joy, every ounce of peace, these come through Jesus. Every breakthrough is achieved by Jesus. Every victory is Jesus' accomplishment. Every act of healing is cared for by Jesus' hands. Every sin that's forgiven is done so by his blood. Every life restored is the result of his resurrection, and every reconstruction is produced by his kingdom, and he shall reign forever and ever. And here's what it says in the book of Isaiah. Amen, I'm, I'm with you. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's talking about Jesus, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's praise God together right now. Let's just give him praise. You can open your mouth. You can clap your hands, whatever. It's not for me. It's for the Lord. We bless and praise you, Jesus. We worship you and honor you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So today is a good day, friends. It's a day where we live and walk in the gospel. It's a day where you have the opportunity to love other people differently than you have before. And not because you're so great and you're figuring it out, but it's because God is working through you. That's such good news.